Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Yay! Did you notice I made the transition today without JC and I didn't stumble over it, but then I had to like, you know, stumble over my tongue. <laughs> Are you all enjoying your shelter in place, your your apocalyptic shutdown of government and and the fallout of Oh, never mind. <laughs> JC's seat is empty, but he is uh around so we're just going to keep that seat here he's busy doing something for me that's very very important and so when he's finished if he's able he's going to pop in and join us and i know you guys missed him yesterday so happy to uh have the opportunity to be with you today now as promised um we are going to uh be talking about the power of the sheriff today the power of the sheriff. I wanted to also talk to you about something else that's that that's looming over us that I wanted you to know about. You know, when when you have these major crises and you have these situations where people are distracted by things. Uh, I mean, have you ever seen America more distracted than they are now? I mean, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. There's nothing else going on in conversation. And I am dealing with phone calls all day and legal questions all day. And I was telling my, my pastor friend, Eric Hansen, I said, I feel like, I feel like the boy at the dike and I'm running out of fingers. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Ah, stop. But uh, nonetheless, I am, um, man, these are exciting times. And I know that God has put us here for such a time as this. I do want to take just a second to say, I, to say thank you, everybody, for sending your, me your, your little notes of encouragement. I don't know, was I crazy yesterday? But I'm going to tell you what, I got so many little messages and so many notices yesterday Chrisanne, we love you, we support you, we're happy about you, we thank you, and you know, God has brought you here for such a time as this, and thank you for educating us, and thank you for all of this, and so uh, I'm just, I'm so grateful that there are people out there that will take the time to encourage me. Um, this is, this is, this has been without a doubt a challenging path to take but I want to tell you that it's also rewarding because you know those of you who know our story we didn't start off like this I'd like to say I I made the choice to do what we do but in reality the choice was placed before us and maybe you know maybe what I'll do is I'll tell you that story the story of how J.C., Chris Ann, and Colton began the ministry as missionaries of the Const uh, 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 to the United States in defense of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, let's do that because I want you guys to know. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people out there. Ten years later, we don't tell the story that often anymore. 
And people are like, hey, Chrisanne, you need to walk the walk. You just talk the talk and whatever. And I think maybe it might be encouraging to you for you to know how we got here. You see, the year is 2009. And I'm a prosecutor in the state of Florida. Previous to that, I was... Well, let me just say I'd been a prosecutor and well, I'd been working in the prosecutor's office since 2000. Uh, I had left for a couple of years, take a little sabbatical to work for a First Amendment law firm where I traveled around the country and I defended people whose rights were being violated based on First Amendment issues, right? And so I went back after, you know, after the, my term with them, ended, God closed that door, and I went back to the state attorney's office, and somebody that I had been working with as a co-worker had been elected the state attorney. So I went to him and I said, look, I'd, I'd like to come back. To be honest with you, all I ever wanted to do was to be a prosecutor. I never had a job interview in law school. Never. I knew exactly what I was going to do. As a matter of fact, I was working in my job before I graduated from law school. We have a program in the state of Florida for certified legal interns. So if you're you know, in law school and an attorney signs off to have you come intern, for me it was the state attorney at the time. I actually had tried 10 jury trials before I had even taken the bar exam. Most attorneys, won't have 10 jury trials in a lifetime. And I had them before I ever took my bar, uh, wherever I took my bar exam. I feel really blessed to have that kind of opportunity. And, and like I said, it's all I wanted to do. And so I went back to the state attorney's office, but people around me kept kept telling me, you know, they, they learned how I had practiced First Amendment law. There were questions about, you know, how do we do this and teach us about the Constitution. So the Republican Executive Committee locally there in Suwannee County brought me in to teach. And the Suwannee County School Board had me come to a school board meeting and advise them on how to have invocation before the school board meetings without having, you know, the freedom from religion people or the ACLU people jumping down their throats. So I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, off uh, pro bono, not as an estate attorney, on my free time stuff with the Constitution. I had fallen in love with the founders and I'd become a voracious reader of what they wrote, what they said, how they were going, and just God was filling me with this desire and, and giving me access to all this information. Well, I didn't know, but the man that I was working for at the state attorney's office didn't see the Constitution in the same light that I did. Let's just put it that way. We are at we, we, we're ideologically at odds. Now, he's an attorney, I'm an attorney, but we're ideologically at odds on how this Constitution thing is supposed to work. I had done a radio interview talking about the unconstitutionality of national health care, and I get an email from him, and he's telling me that I must cease and desist all my association with right-wing fringe groups 
the school board, the middle school students that I'm teaching on the First Amendment. I, I suppose maybe he was talking about the REC group or the Tea Party group that I had met with. I don't know. And he told me, now I want you to cease and desist my association with all these groups. And he told me that to teach that the Constitution requires limited government was an ethics violation for me because I worked for the government. And that if I wanted to keep teaching, or if I, if I wanted to keep working for him, I had to stop teaching. So I told him, I said, look, I, I, I'm not doing this on your time. I'm doing this on my own time. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about my caseload. I'm not saying anything. But I'd be more than happy to give a disclaimer. Uh, I'll be more than happy to give a disclaimer on how I'm not representing you when I get up to teach. Well, that wasn't good enough for him. He was not, hey, JC. Hey, hey. <laughs> he was not having any of that. And so we had a decision to make. You see, the finances in the house were going to be challenging for us if I didn't keep my job. We had just stepped out and planted a church. JC had no salary at the time. My income was the only salary. So we had to make a choice. Do we stand for what we believe in? Or do I shut up, rein in my teaching, and keep my job? Now I'll just brag on JC for the moment because he was spiritually more sound than I was at that time. Because I'm going to tell you what, I was terrified. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't let Colton see me do this. I don't even know. I'm sure JC knew, but I... I didn't, I didn't do it publicly, but I was terrified. I, I remember laying in the living room floor, weeping in, in, in the best way I can describe the emotion is fear, because how do, what, how do I make this decision? I'm so conflicted internally because I don't want to, I don't want to go against my principles. And anybody that you guys know me now 10 years later, you, you have to know that I am principally driven. Am I principally driven? And so I didn't want to give that up, but I didn't know how to take care of the finances. JC came to me as we were praying about it one day and he said, look, you've been teaching people that one day what our founders went through is going to come back on us. You're teaching them that history repeats. You're teaching them the wisdom to give them the courage to stand. He said, how would that look to, on us if when the decision to make, when, when the time came for us to make that decision, we said, no, 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 wait, we meant you, not us. And he said to me, I really don't think that we have a choice. And he said, we have a God that has promised to be with us all the way. A God who has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that we would never beg for bread. And he's promised that we stand with him, he'll stand with us back. So let's just do this. I remember he actually said, let's do this or let's die trying. <laughs> so, so I went and I, I 
sent an email to my boss because all of this was over email. And I said, look, I'm not going to stop speaking. <laughs> Blink twice if JC is pinching you. He's not pinching me. <laughs> um, I, I wrote an, an email to my boss and I said, look, I'm not going to stop teaching. Uh, and I'm not going to quit. And then he told me, okay, then you're fired. I said, I'm not going to trade my paycheck for my rights because you didn't give me these rights. God did, and I'm not trading them for your paycheck. Now, it went kind of national. This is sort of the Reader's Digest version of it. And um, I just aged myself, didn't I? Is, is there actually even a Reader's Digest anymore? <laughs> Keep it moving. Yeah. So I um, I uh, went sort of national. I was on Neil Cavuto for about 13 seconds. And people started sending me letters and started sending me encouragement. Some people sent us money, like $10 here, $20 here, $5 here. One day we got in the mail a letter from a family. The mom had written the letter. She said, I wanted to thank your family for everything that you've done in giving us an example to teach our children by. Apparently they watched us on the news. And she said, we want to encourage you and we want to support you in any way that we can. And so the kids has, have taken their piggy banks. They've emptied their piggy banks for you. We've searched through the couch cushion. We've, we've picked up all that we have in spare change and we're sending it to you. And they sent us a check for something like $143.37. I mean, it was pennies to the T. To the and I, and I, I thought to myself, I saw we sort of chuckled and said, you know, why would somebody write a check for $148.37? Why not round it up or round it down? I'll never know the difference. And we didn't, we would have never known, except that next week we got an electric bill for the exact amount of that check to the penny. You see, I don't know about you, but God knows me. And I believe that God knows that I'll take credit where I can. And I have doubts about my own faith. And that was his way of just saying to me, at least, I'm here in a way that I couldn't deny it. And I have to tell you that it's been that way for 11 years. God has just sent things to us to tell us and to just to remind us that we're here, that he's here with us. And so I just want to encourage you that if the decision comes to you to take a stand, then you can do it. It's not just for history. It's not just for Thomas Jefferson and Mercy Otis Warren. It's not just in biblical stories. God is the same today as he was yesterday and he'll be the same tomorrow. And I want to tell you, we would not know the glory of God over the last 11 years the way we have if we hadn't simply stepped out by faith. And I just want to encourage you to. It wasn't easy. It hasn't been easy. There have been times that were hard. We've been, we've been worried. We've been discouraged. We've been all those things. But each and every time God has come through, 
And I want to thank you for being a part of that with us. And thank you for your words of encouragement. Thank you to all of you who have uh, already super chatted us today in support. Uh, M. Rios, thank you. Uh, Nutrition, thank you. Donovan Jewett, thank you. Um, you guys, you guys give us encouragement, or at least you do me. JC, he's always steady. <laughs> I'm good. So now that I have I feel that like past I walked you, in on somebody's private phone call. Yeah, that's okay. But I wanted to share with you guys before we get into the power of the sheriff today, like I promised you, there's a couple things going on because remember, all this distraction is really making things crazy. There's this act called the Earn It Act out there, uh, which Congress is now pushing through to end encryption. All the things that we've been fighting, you know, to keep Barack Obama from doing, our Congress and our Senate are trying to push through while we're not watching. Now, the Earn It Act would give law enforcement officials the back door to, uh, to all of our messages, all of our phone calls, everything that we wanted. It's actually sponsored, yes, you got it, by Lindsey Graham. You know, he's a Republican. And it is, it is something that we need to keep our eyes on. Introduced by Lindsey Graham, and Senator Richard Blumenthal, so it's bipartisan, don't worry, along with Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, and Diane Feinstein, we love Diane. And the premise of the bill is that technology companies have to earn Section 230 protections rather than be granted immunity by default as the Communications Decency Act provided for over two decades. So basically what this says is, guess what? If you want to be, to have your privacy rights secured under the First Amendment, your telephone company has to earn that right for you. And that's the piece of legislation that they're pushing out there in the name of national security. Mm-hmm. Um, There's also a big comprehensive gun grab bill. The Gun Violence Prevention and Community Safety Act. Yep. Yep. HR 57. HR 57. From Hank Johnson, by the way. One of my favorites. Absolute favorites. You guys don't know Hank Johnson. Is that sarc- Oh, Hank Johnson. Google Hank Johnson. I, I'm pretty sure that's him, right? Hank Johnson. H- Hank he's Johnson, the guy he's that the, thought that Guam, Guam was going to tip. Is going to tip over because the um, the military weighs too much on one end. Too much. <laughs> What's his name? I'll look it up here. Hank just Johnson. To make sure. He's Hank from Johnson. Georgia. Hank Johnson. So, yeah, because we actually, yeah, Hank Johnson, Guam. Yeah, All right, it so came up. Total yeah. buffoon. We actually did a montage of Hank Johnson. Yeah. Clips one time. So the he's dude is yeah. So just he's the sponsor. The well, that's that's probably really good news though, JC, <laughs> because with Hank Johnson being the lead sponsor, it's probably never going to make it to the floor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's not going to pass the Senate, or you wouldn't think it'd pass the Senate at this point. But then at the same time, like right now, you have two um, 
two Republican senators quarantine, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, so you have you you just really have this the narrow mm -hmm. split in the Senate. So, you know, that's a, this is just one. You mentioned that this mm -hmm. is another several things going on while everybody's fixated on the C word. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of stuff being being put in there, being trying trying to pass uh, Congress and uh, and the Senate. So. And you know what's funny, maybe maybe a little aside, a little off topic specifically, but funny ha ha or funny not, weird not, or not funny, funny scary. Ha -ha, but one of those funny I told you so, listen, you know, here you go, morons. I don't like those. Um, <laughs> I don't like those. Well, you remember the so you remember the big push, uh, and I think you spoke you know, you spoke against the idiocy of it, like some of the other things. Uh, the push for we you know, we need a law or amendment to they have to justify uh, these laws they passed by the Constitution, you got to cite, you know, where in the Constitution, da, 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 da. So they have that. So that's in there. It just kind of caught my attention. Mm -hmm. Constitutional justification. Because they have to do that now. So you know what they do? It's Congress has the power to do this by Article 1, Section 8. Boom. That's their justification. That's I what they do. It doesn't matter what it is. They put that on there. You know why? Because nobody nobody checks up on it anymore. Nobody holds them accountable. Because I've, I've seen it was that. stupid to begin with. We kept telling people, what are you talking about? They're, this is what they're going to do. Yeah, and this is exactly what they did. Hey, Patriot. Come on. 93933, thank you for your super chat. What the heck is that thing? <laughs> I don't know, man, but that's hilarious. Like a giant that just, potato with it's a, a blue feather. a blue pear. Is it a pear? I, it was shaped like a pear. It's a blue pear <laughs> waving flags jumping up and down. And Behind Dragon's Talon. Man, I don't know. I'm going to have to throw a birthday party for Dragon's Talon here shortly. Whenever You guys are awesome. You guys are really awesome. Thank Spooning you in. so I much. I saw uh, Miss Miriam up there. Yeah, Miriam. Well. She, yeah, we said hello uh, to her. Nutrition. Jewett. Yeah. Thanks, guys, man. Yeah. You guys are awesome. So I want to talk to you about this Earn It Act a little bit in more in detail because I want you to know where it's coming from. Because once again, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, Hank Johnson. I, crazy stuff. No, it's so, this is so huge. I mean, that yeah. the HR 5717 is so comprehensively uh, treasonous <laughs> that you, you would probably need two or three shows to go through it. So I didn't yeah. mean, I, I wasn't meaning, let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Just to point out, there, while we're being distracted with the Black Plague, why well, it's got to be black, um, <laughs> they're trying to pass all this other crazy stuff. Yeah, I know. Everything's racist, by the way. You know, I know. I, like, you have to, you, you got to hesitate even saying Black Plague. Like, like Trump saying the Chinese virus, because it comes from China. So you can't. You can't say where the origin of something is from. Like you couldn't say a car. This is a Japanese car. Like you can't say that anymore. If a car is made in Japan, a Japanese car, then it's racist. It's crazy. Hyper racialized. I had a buddy told me not too long ago. He said, "But you had a college class on race and society." No, I, yeah, but and you know that's the thing I was sharing. I had a guy, a guy tell me, friend of mine. <laughs> you know, no, the guy is not obviously not racist or anything like that, but. He says, he says, you know, I never even, race was never even a thing in my mind. Like I judge people individually. Yeah. Right? He said, but now with the hyper-racialization of everything, mm -hmm. he said, this is what, what hap what's happening in my spirit. Now, 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 now. every time <laughs> I see a brown-skinned person, uh -huh. I believe that they think 
I'm a racist immediately. Yes. So therefore, I avoid them. <laughs> right? So now you've, you've actually sort of created what they call, and what do they call it? Unconscious racism, where you, where you racism, separate yeah. yourself from other races. They've actually created racism in this man who never even thought, who never even paid attention to it before. Now, because everything's racial, you can't say Chinese. I mean, you know, something comes from China. You can't say it's Chinese. Right. Uh, so he's like, if they don't look like me, now, because of all what I hear constantly, I assume they all think I'm a racist. So why would I even why would I even interact with them? <laughs> That's the craziness that we create with what the left is doing with everything is everything that comes out oh, of your mouth. Oh come on now, it's just, that's how they separated the people in in Russia as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the that's how they work. That's how socialism actually gets divides the people, so they can't unite against the real tyranny. Yeah. By the way, our hands are here. I don't know how somebody's deleting comments. Um, it's not us, but yeah. So so anyway. Back to the point. While while they're distracting you with the non-white plague, um, you know they're trying to pass all this garbage in Congress. Right. Yeah. So this this um, just really briefly, I want to talk about the Earn It Act because this is another one of those things that's being misdescribed. Um, so basically, it, it's hard to. This is for tech companies, right? For all the tech companies. And so basically, what this is is it makes the tech companies liable for what their users post, right? So you remember the whole argument about Facebook, is it a platform, is it a uh, whatever, I don't know. Uh, and, and so what this would do would turn all the tech companies into, uh, in a situation where they would be, they would be criminally and civilly liable for whatever people say on their platforms. The the user, hold on, I didn't follow that. So, so Facebook would be criminally or civilly liable for anything that somebody says on their Facebook page. Okay, so the companies themselves yes. are criminally liable for a, a person using their yes. platform, for what a person says who's using yes. their platform. Yes. Wow. Criminally, civilly, or regulatorily I'm going to make that word up if there isn't one. Um, By the way, we, now think about that. Okay, it, from, this, from the standpoint of Facebook, let, so let's say I'm one of, I'm, I'm Facebook, right? I'm, I have a platform like that. Uh, and I'm thinking, that's what you're trying to do. Wouldn't, an, wouldn't a consequence of that be an encouragement for the AI? It'd be like you're actually, yeah. dr because in that case, You've basically given me it's an almost impossible task to control, you know, this this uh, what would you call it contemporaneous like immediate mm -hmm. censorship of something that might come out. Right. So the only thing that could do that is an AI. Yeah. So this actually this actually, you know, uh, increases what the conservatives have have been howling about, mm -hmm. and this is coming from. Some conservative Republicans are involved in this, right? Josh Howley's yeah. well, he's the Missouri guy. That's supposed yeah. to be the you know conservative, whatever. Well, because they're selling it as a Save the Babies Act. You know, it's a sex trafficking uh, act. One of those. Yeah, it's again. a sex trafficking act, and uh, they're demanding a back door uh, as a part to earn your protection, right? So basically, what it is. The government tells you how to run your business, A, B, C, or D, 
And as long as you give them unlimited access without warrants to your business, then they will allow you to be protected uh, against lawsuits from people using your, uh, you know, people being offended by people who use your platform. Yeah. It's really hard to describe. Well, this is Things are getting publisher, very, very. Yeah, this so is the, that thing you talked yeah, about. Mm -hmm. pub, what was it? Publisher. Platform. Platform Publish, versus publisher. Pla pa platform versus publisher. The false distinction they create to, yeah. to control speech. To control private business. And private business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because I've, uh, I've been talking with lawyers all day. I mean, on phone conversations with lawyers and, and uh, uh, emails with lawyers. And so I have... I'm having trouble talking right now because I'm having to not speak lawyer. <laughs> you know, it's a different language. It I is. just wanted people to understand that that when well, you know. have law professors that teach you or when you go uh, go to, I mean, this is not a bash, okay, so I'm not putting anybody down, but you go to the Hillsdale online classes and you're taught by a lawyer and sometimes you feel like, Okay, what is, what, is what is he saying? <laughs> That's because lawyers have a whole different, we're taught to think and on our language is different. Uh, so when I come here, do you guys, I, and we're, we are taught to, taught to be very verbose. That's why I have JC as my editor when I write. If I've been writing with lawyers all day, I'll, I'll t a, a, a three-page paper becomes five pages. It just, yeah. it happens. Did you notice that when you were helping me today? I sure. just, but anyway. It's really, really difficult to narrow these bills down anymore into sort of like a three-line summary to give you guys the nuts and bolts of what's going on because they are intentionally making them more and more convoluted, more and more, you know, this kitchen sink, we're gonna pull this in, we're gonna pull that in, yeah. we're gonna pull this in, and, and then they, they give them these headings, sex trafficking, you know, and then all of a sudden you're reading in the details and it has nothing to do with that stuff. See, that's where, that's where the anarchist in me rises up because that's kind of the constant phenomenon, the unintended consequence, every time government, every time yeah. the state does something, there's like six other unintended consequences and screw-ups that they create. It's just like the other day with the sheriff you were talking about who, you know, and again, some of them are well-intentioned. Some uh -huh. come, it sometimes it come from a place of compassion or whatever. So the sheriff wants to protect people from getting booted out in the street right. in the time of right. virus. So right, he right. says, we're not going to now, he doesn't say you can't evict anybody, but we're not, not going to enforce... We're not going to enforce your evictions. At this time. Yeah. But then, then you think about, okay, then you got people not paying. What about the owners of the property? What about their having to pay, you know, the light bill, electric bill, uh, property taxes? Mortgage. Mortgage, on and on and on. What, what about... So you create all of the this domino effect just by the state doing right. one thing. Just one thing. Putting their finger or, on one or thing. Or not doing one thing. Right? That they're supposed they're to. supposed to be doing right. See, not doing what they're supposed to be doing is just as dangerous as doing what they're not supposed to be doing. And in this case, I mean, in its um, soul, what's his name? William Soul. Thomas Soul. Thomas Soul. Thomas Soul actually wrote a book called Step Two. Yeah. About how people in government don't either they don't want to, or they know they don't have to, or they just don't know how to think Step 
too. They think, oh, this is a great idea. This will help people. This is what we want to do. And then they don't realize, hey, you stop enforcing evictions and now you have people living in a house where the bills aren't being paid, but somebody's responsible for paying them. Plus, then it takes months for you actually to par you do the eviction process to begin with. Meanwhile, the person who owns the building can't possibly get the ball rolling to get somebody in who can actually pay, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you're, we're... The, the step two of this, people are like, oh, maybe it'll be over by April 7th. No, sir. Yeah, they're going to this, be. This is. Even if, even if, even if, even if, if these, the, the alleged disease virus just, boom, just boom, all stops. disappeared instantly. Now you have all the consequences yes. uh, of, of, of the hysteria and the things the government is doing. I mean, you have all these people who are not working. And when the businesses start up again, Maybe it'll just look like some ginormous economic boon. Yeah. Right? Well, but nonetheless, go ahead. It, well, along the lines of, I was going to say, some of, some of what we call unintended consequences, you know, many times there's somebody sort of higher up the chain that they're actually not unintended. Somebody was sort of driving it to that point. And, and I've, I, the whole time, the market stuff is happening. I've been thinking all along, I've said this several times, we have this conversation yeah. of think about once, just like in the housing bubble, right? That so-called crash. After this, you're going to have, hey, cheap stocks, cheap. So you're going to have the guys like Warren Buffett and all these billionaires. Right. It's like Kmart blue light special. So mm -hmm. this stuff that harms, you know, regular people with 401ks, retirement, jobs, blah, blah, blah the big uber wealthy this is a boon for them well, not because only now that, they they come yeah. in and they scoop up cheap businesses cheap stocks and then they can they they actually consolidate and by the way gives more fodder for the marxists to say yes. look how capitalism doesn't work yes not only that i don't know if people realize this i actually learned this many years ago i didn't i never really understood it until i got older but many years ago i learned that the you know the, the the uber billionaire people don't even lose money when they lose money no. if they make bad investments and they lose in the investments it's all a tax write off mm -hmm. they actually make money losing money yeah and so for them well, it's Soros a win-win situation they can't lose Soros has made billions crashing economies you know dump crashing governments crashing governments on purpose yes. and then he's enriched himself yes yes you know so Anyway, the unintended consequences are not always unintended in, mm, on man. the big scale. I'm sorry, guys. I keep I can't keep stop yawning. I don't know. I'm not really tired. I've been like posture all day. I've been working hard. I was telling everybody I feel like the little boy at the dike, and I'm running out of fingers with with everything that's going on, and it's just crazy. You have the dark colors and the pearls again. Always a good look, and somebody noticed, somebody noticed that the other day. Oh, also. really? So. <laughs> the dark color and the pearls, huh? Well, GC, I promised everybody yesterday that we were going to talk about a constitutional sheriff today. Do it. And we're going to do uh, a Liberty First University class right here online. Well, it's important in some of these things because, yeah. you know, the, like the quarantines and, and closing businesses and things that are actually not lawful not constitutional and, yep. and not even lawful in, in many states. Right. Um, this would be 
an area where a sheriff's could stand up and say, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to allow you to do that here. And so I was meeting, we were meeting with some people the other day and, and I was explaining about how I do this teaching all across the country to the sheriffs. Remember, you know, those of you who've been with us for a long time, you know, I just got back from Reno teaching uh, the, the course for the sheriffs to the sheriffs of 17 states in the Western Sheriffs Association. Three hours. I mean, that's serious. And they wouldn't let me take a break, JC. We went three hours straight. It was phenomenal. We're not doing three hours today. We're just doing a segment of the class today. And it has to do with the, with the history of the sheriff. And, you know, Patrick Henry said, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that's a lamp of experience. I know no way to judge the future but by the past. Because the history is our teacher, and it actually is the wisdom that our framers used to create the government that we have today. And the people we were meeting with, I was explaining to this the power of the sheriff and, and how it's not only the power of the sheriff, but it's the duty of the sheriff to stand up against governments uh, against not just criminals, but to governments as well. Let me, mm-hmm. let me start off by, uh, by sharing. Somebody had mentioned Brad Rogers up here. And uh, uh, I, I just want to share with you something that Brad Rogers wrote because the question was, Chrisanna, how do we show these sheriffs? How do, how do we make them know this? You know, how many sheriffs know this? How do they know this? How do, how do we do this? Well, we have to teach them. We have to teach our sheriffs, and but we do have, and one thing I was telling them is we have a large number of sheriffs that are solid out there. Mm-hmm. You just don't get to hear about them in the news because CNN's not going to cover this kind of stuff. CNN, MSBC, MSNBC, Fox News isn't going to cover when a sheriff is successful in shutting out the federal government. Now, Brad Rogers used to be the sheriff of Elkhart, Indiana. Now, I say used to, not because he didn't get reelected, but because he termed out. So Indiana has term limits for their sheriffs, and he termed out. Uh, but his undersheriff, he was so popular that his undersheriff became the sheriff. Nice. Yeah. And so what Brad Rogers in Elkhart, Indiana, was he was having a trouble with the USDA and the FDA coming in and raiding his Amish farmers in the dark of the night over weapons of mass destruction, you know, raw eggs, milk, and cheese, right? And so Brad Rogers got so sick and tired of the tyranny of the USDA and the FDA that he sent, he, he penned a letter and he sent a letter to the USDA, told them to share it with the FDA, and, and basically told them, if you come into my county again, to effectuate any of your federal, to serve any of you, effectuate, that's one of those lawyer terms, to serve any of your federal warrants without coming to my office first and getting my express permission. He told the USDA and the FDA, you will have to pick up your agents in my jail because I'm going to arrest them for trespass. Are you catching that? The sheriff is threatening to arrest federal agents for trespass if they don't give his permission to issue a warrant. Now, this was years ago. You never saw federal troops marching into Elkhart, Indiana, or the president trying to put uh, Brad Rogers in prison or congressmen having some congressional hearing over it. They wanted this to be quiet Mm -hmm. because the truth of the matter is 
Brad Rogers never had another problem with the USDA or the FDA. Now, I want to share with you what he, he, the response in public was so overwhelming that he did a press release. And I want to share with you the press release because it helps us understand why this lesson on the constitutional sheriff is so important. He says, and I'm quoting, your local elected officials can stem the tide of federal overreach if they just, if they apply just a little backbone in supporting and defending the Constitution. In big capital letters, he says, expect it, demand it. He says, some bloggers and natural food writers have hailed me as a hero because he was defending the property rights of raw milk and cheese. And, and he says, I'm no hero. I'm just doing my job. How can our sheriffs do their job if they don't even know what their job is? Right. And Brad Rogers knew what his job was. He says, whether you're a conservative, here's his job. Are you ready? Everybody, if you're taking notes, if you're recording this, record it right now. This is the job description of your sheriff. Are you ready? Do, do, do. Whether you are a conservative or a liberal, I will be a guardian of the Constitution for you. And I will not stand idly by while the rights of my county are trampled, whether by criminals or an overreaching government. Yeah. That is the job description of your sheriff. And that's... That is the first and foremost job description of your sheriff. And you, you know, you have kind of a um, sort of photo negative example, right? The, the, the bad side of yeah. what, what happens and, and how bad can it get? When you don't have a share, a constitutional sheriff, you have the other extreme. When you see what happened to Lavoy Finnicum, absolutely. Like if Brad, if you had a sheriff like Brad Rogers, right, he'd be alive today. But you have a guy there. I mean, so it shows. I think how important, how important this is. Yeah, and your sheriff. This is not Chris Ann Hall's opinion. This is actual legal fact. Your sheriff is the top legal authority in your county. Your sheriff is above the governor, above your county commission. He's above the state police. He's above the president. He's above the FBI. He's above the military in your county. There is no higher authority, legally speaking, in your county than the sheriff, which is why. Now this applies, let me just give you this sort of legal disclaimer. This only applies to the sheriffs where the people have protected the sheriff's power. Yeah, because the word got out about apart. these principles yes. in Delaware. Yeah. What was that, Biden's? Biden's son. Son mm -hmm. moved to, make sh to change it, to make sure. Stripped the, yeah. the sheriffs of Delaware uh, of, the of, their, of their, their arrest authority, even. Yeah, a sheriff is just simply a guy who serves warrants and and post eviction notices on the doors and and he doesn't do anything but the sheriff in the in the places where the sheriff's authority is true and protected the sheriff is a constitutionally elected officer a representative of the people now i want to mention to you from an historical perspective this this didn't happen by accident right we didn't just say oh let's let's create this office of a sheriff and let's make the sheriff you know the the guy who who's supposed to to protect the rights of the people. That's, that's not how it works. The sheriff is actually the guy 
who started off in history uh, as an agent of the king. So in 1849, under the king of, uh, of England by the name of, uh, um, where is my brain? Uh, king, there he is, Alfred. I was going to say Alfred, but I forgot. Under King Alfred, a sheriff was a representative of the royal authority at the local level. Now, in 849, we didn't have counties. We had these things called shires. Mm. And the sheriff was called a reeve. Just so you know, that's where you get your the term sheriff. It's a phonetical blending of the words shire-reeve. So you say that long enough with a heavy English accent and you get sheriff. Yeah, you right? still have, there There are, uh, you know, you still have towns and cities in the Northeast mm-hmm. that that uh, harken back to that language. That, right. You, you know, like names that end in shire. Right. Uh, well, New Hampshire. I mean, right. the whole yeah. state yeah. still yeah. has that. Right, exactly. Uh, that kind of, and I think Worcester, uh, some of those that are like Worcester, some of that, oh, that <laughs> Chester. I got so corrected when I said Worcester. No, it's not Worcester. It's Worcester. 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 You knew you were you 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 lived around Baltimore. Ba- yeah. Baltimore. Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire. Okay, so the sheriff was the highest authority and the senior official only under the king himself. So he was a hireling of the king. Now, remember the class that I just gave online on the history of the Constitution. So what you have to realize is that this starts in 849. The sheriff, the Shire Reeve, is a hireling of the king. And so just as a review for this, you know, we then have uh, the Ethelred Agreement in 1014 where we create the limited monarchy. Then we have Edward the Confessor. You guys will remember through that class. By the way, if you haven't had the class and you miss the class on YouTube, the constitutional class is still on YouTube, and you can always become a student at libertyfirstuniversity.com and get these classes on your own and study at your own time. And we always do them in greater detail at libertyfirstuniversity.com as well. All right, so then you have Edward the Confessor. Remember, he's the generous king. Then you have William the First, the tyrant king, the one who... Um, said that he was going to overturn the government without the people knowing, you know, fundamentally transform. Then we get uh, his son, William II, the red hairy guy, and then his other son, Henry I. We get the 1100 Charter of Liberties. We're fast forwarding through this because you've already had this class, but you get the 1100 Charter of Liberties, the first promise, the first written promise to the people that the government will not be evil and oppressive anymore. By the way, just a little bit of trivia for you and a reminder, the 1100 Charter of Liberties is where we have codified our principles of separation of church and state, which is going to be very important for us when we have these lockdowns, separation of church and state, okay? Then we're gonna now come to the year 1215. We have a rebellion against John. Remember, John is the massive taxation king. And remember the, the Disney movie of Robin Hood, right? The sheriff of Nottingham 
in the Robin Hood story, not just in Disney, but in right. The Sheriff of Nottingham worked for the king. Well, when the rebellion comes against, Al, uh, comes against John and the people force the Magna Carta on John, the entire role of the sheriff changes. In 1215, under Clause 61 of the Magna Carta, the sheriff is no longer a hireling of the government. He is no longer working for the king. The sheriff now works for the people. Now, I want to take a few minutes. I don't like reading a lot on the show, but I want to read to you the part of Clause 61 of the Magna Carta because this portion of the Clause 61 of Magna Carta, this transformation of the Shire Reeve into the sheriff that we know today, tells us explicitly what our sheriff is supposed to be doing all the way back in 1215. Now, when we read this, it's written in the first person because the king is signing a promise. So when we start off and it says, if we are chief justices, our officials, and any of our servants, okay, we say that, right? Well, if we, he's talking about the royalty, the king and the crown. So if we, the royalty, our chief justice or officials, or any of our servants offend in any respect against any man or transgress any of the articles of the peace of, or of this security, and the offenses made known to the four of the said 25 barons, remember the royal council, they shall come to us, declare it, and claim immediate redress. This is where we get the right of the people to petition for a redress of their grievances. The, the 25 barons are the representatives of the people in the king's court. If the king has taken your property unlawfully, if the king is denying you of your rights unlawfully, or a servant is, or someone in the court is, you know, Dutch or Duchess, Duke or Lady or whatever, then you go to your representative, the barons, you present to them your case, the representative takes it to the king, okay? Wait a minute. I thought Thomas Jefferson in, invented the redress of grievances. <laughs> You're telling me it was 600 years before he ever showed up on the scene? Uh, not 600 years. Before five, Jefferson. 500 years. Mm. 500 years before Jefferson showed up on the scene. Okie dokie. Yeah, there you go. So Thomas Jefferson didn't invent the First Amendment either. He didn't do separation of church and state either. Okay? So... Now listen, you are following this redress process now, right? So you've been, you've, you've had your rights or your property denied by the central government. Mm. Let's just make this, a, you know, right. by the central government. You've gone to your representative, you've made your claim. Now listen to what happens. This is Clause 61. If we make no redress within 40 days... Okay, so they have 40 days to respond. And not just simply respond, but to make you whole. 40 days to restore your rights and to restore your property. Just mm -hmm. so we're clear. Due process. Due process. The 25 barons who may distrain upon and assail us in every way possible, okay, with the support of the whole community of the land. Now that word distrain 
is a violent taking. Yeah. It is a violent seizure. Seize, to seize. So if the king does not make you whole, your representatives now have the permission of the king and full right under the law to forcefully seize and assail the king, the crown, the royalty, the family, the servants, with the support of the whole community. And here's what you can do. You can seize their castles, it's plural, lands, possessions, or anything else, saving only our own person and those of the queen and our children until they have secured such redress as they have determined upon. So you can't legally kill them, but you can no. take their stuff. You can, can't kill stuff. them, but you can take all their stuff until you are made whole. And that's okay? from the Magna Carta. That is from the Magna Carta. Now, here's your sheriff. Any man who desires, to may, desires may take an oath to obey the commands of the 25 barons for the achievement of these ends and to join with them in assailing us to the utmost of his power. So deputized. So they are now deputizing, and this will actually now transform over the next centuries into the sheriff who no longer works for the representatives, but is the representative, right? He doesn't work for the barons. He is the baron. It's connected to the people. So whereas it right. started connected to the legislature and in, in what would right. become the legislature right. now he's connected to the right. people. Because the people were connected to the legislature, he was connected to the legislature. Now, over the centuries, he is connected directly to the people. But he still holds the same principled authority and that's exactly what Brad Rogers said. Awesome. To not just protect us from criminals, but to protect us from government that acts like a criminal. So these are this is essentially the earliest uh, earliest origins in, in our legal yes. charter history. In our of, legal of what chartered us history, our founding documents. Yes. I, you said, as you mentioned, connect you know connected with the history mm -hmm. that this happens in, which you gave the other day was the charter history right. of our founding documents, right. um, of which the the at least the second is. Right. Magna Carta. Right. Now I do want to show I want to I want to show you guys this cuz this is this is important because this is actually not just Chris Ann Holm making in some conjecture based on history. This is what our founders actually used to codify uh, this power in the the entity of our our sheriff um, we have, let me find this right here, but we have James Madison writing in two separate uh, instances in the Federalist Papers distinguishing out the power of the sheriff mm -hmm. uh, and the local government. Oh, here we go. I'm, like I said, this is like a three-hour class, and I'm giving you the piecemeal of it. So I wanted, I'm having to go through this a little bit different. Here it is. All right, so the sheriff is established to be supreme within his jurisdiction, okay? Mm -hmm. Under Federalist 51, James Madison writes this. 
Hence, a double security arises to the rights of the people. The different government will control each other at the same time each will be controlled by itself, right? So we're establishing the authority of the local government to control the federal government. Mm -hmm. Federals 39 says this. The local or municipal authority, excuse me, the local or municipal authorities form distinct and independent portions of the supremacy. I want to repeat that again. The local or municipal authorities form distinct and independent portions of the supremacy, no more subject within their respective authorities than the general authority is subject to them within their own jurisdiction. Now, to bring that up into 21st century language, let me explain to you what this means. He is saying the federal government can't show up in your... Oh, let me, let me back this up. He is saying your sheriff can't go to Washington, D.C. and enforce the laws of your county in Washington, D.C. And in the same respect... The federal agents can't come into your sheriff's county and enforce federal law because your sheriff is supreme in his jurisdiction. And what's crazy, JC, I wish that I had a clip. I'm always thinking I need to go and look for these clips. But I remember growing up and watching television shows and movies where the sheriff was and the feds came in and they're... Feds try to take over and the sheriff would say, well, you realize this is my jurisdiction now and you don't have any authority here. We used to have, we used to know that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just in the 70s, we knew that. Right. 30 years later, 40 years later, we've completely forgotten a foundational check and balance, an established protection of the people's power. We've already forgotten that in just 40 years. And now we have sheriffs who think that their only job is to enforce the law, that the federal government is supreme to them. They can't possibly say anything, but, you know, they can't even do boo to the federal government. When just 40 years ago, we understood what Madison is teaching us right now. And I have to say, it has to be the education system. You cannot change culture that quickly unless you're educating people that that is the correct culture. Well, you know... And oh, and then toys and money, and you know, you, you, right. you bribe them with grants, and you bribe them with toys, and you make them sign the mutual jurisdiction agreements so that they... And then you teach them that it's a promotion to wear a federal badge and have mutual jurisdiction. Yeah, well, you, you know, and you mentioned people, people being unaware, people don't know, forgotten, what have you, but mm -hmm. then at the same time, it, it's still been reiterated and reconfirmed right. throughout modern history. It's just, it's like we're distracted right. on so many other things. Like you said, people don't know it because you have, mm -hmm. um, what is that, Mac, Mac, Mac Prins v. U.S. Yeah, Mac Prins v. U.S., where, where the Supreme Court actually quotes Federalist 51 and, and Federalist confirms 39. Every, everything and you confirms just said. everything that I'm saying. So, and that was, that was uh, I don't remember the year exactly, but that was shortly after the Brady Bill. You yes, know, well, it was in response to the post, Brady Bill. Post-Reagan right. shooting, then the Brady Bill, mm -hmm. and the lawsuit was in response uh, to the Brady Bill, and, and it was a couple of sheriffs uh, right. that sued the federal government and Mac Prins v. U.S., and basically uh, the Supreme Court confirming, agreeing, yeah. and 
hearkening back to this history and saying, yeah, the federal government can't come in and make the sheriffs do their bidding. Um, so, and, and, and that they can't use, what was it, they can't, co federal government can't co-op resources and right. just say, we're going to use this, we're going to do this. And pretty much confirming. And as Brad that. Rogers did, obviously nobody challenged him. He was not taken to the Supreme Court. The federal government didn't buck. He said, "You have no authority to issue your warrants without my permission." I mean, it, the, the 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 history, the facts, the Supreme Court—they all support this truth. Dragon's Talon says, "Chrisanne, why do you think they no longer teach civics in school? Uh, why don't they want young people to know how the things are supposed to work?" Mm -hmm. Well. Let me, let me answer that question very simply, Dragon's Talon, because if we were teaching civics and knowing how government was supposed to work, we wouldn't be sitting here today looking at governors doing lockdowns for the flu. You wouldn't have a podcast. I wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> there'd be if, no need. Yeah, there'd be no need for my podcast. But they want, they want. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have martial law invoked with the demand of the people. Yeah. I mean, so, I told you this guy on the teleconference call with Rick Scott begging for it. begging for the National Guard to force people to be injected at the grocery store you wouldn't have that if we'd been teaching civics okay I, it just I, the, I, <laughs> stop laughing I want to never mind <laughs> you say, when. say when <laughs> say when I'm your huckleberry yeah I'm your huckleberry yeah, but I but you wouldn't have that. So why don't they do this? Because they want to have this. Right. And that's the, the thing. Like Little we, fish in big ponds. What, what we mentioned. Getting the opportunity to be sharks. Yeah, what we mentioned a couple of days ago, that the people behind it, they know it. They understand oh, it. Yeah. They're not ignorant of it. But they want to keep the masses yeah. ignorant of these things. They know these things. Come on. That was the whole history class that we taught in the history of the Constitution, the lineage of the five documents. The kings always knew how to oppress. It's the people that had to learn over and over and over again all about their rights and what you need to do to secure them. And yeah. so for me, yeah, right, they're, they're at this says. point, as I'm watching right now, my friend, my, our pastor friend, Eric Hansen, texting me saying, uh, you know, starting 5 p.m. tomorrow, they're on complete lockdown in the state of Illinois. Yeah. Right. So between now and five o'clock tomorrow, everybody's going to die from from Corona. But at five o'clock, we're going to stop it because everybody's stuck at home. Right. Well, this wouldn't happen if that were the right. case. Yeah. Unique has the concise answer to Dragon's question. Why would masters teach slaves how to free themselves? That's right. Because slave, we are Americans, and I've, and I've taught this so much over the last 10 years. Sometimes, again, I told you guys, sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I realize not everybody has ever heard what I said. I just hear what I say over and over again, right? <laughs> it's like, Chrisanne, you're repeating yourself. No, only to yourself you're repeating yourself. But we have to understand something. We are suffering in America from the worst form of slavery possible. Slavery of the mind. They're invisible shackles that we have placed upon ourselves. And they're the most impossible to free ourselves from. Free your mind. And the rest will follow. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, I look at what you're teaching. It's, it's really been an unbroken chain of principles throughout. Because a lot of times people roll their eyes and 
dismiss your teaching history and you're teaching this ancient history and old history. What's the point? This is not then, this is now. But you see, and I was just thinking of, um, you know, you were talking about the religious liberty today mm-hmm. and there was a quote, I think it was Madison, where he's defending religious liberty and he's comparing it yeah. with other Here it is. freedom says, concepts. Conscience, conscience is the most sacred of all property. The, that exercise of that being a natural and unalienable right. To guard a man's house as his castle. To pay public and enforce private debts with the most exact faith. Can give no title to invade a man's conscience, which is more sacred than his castle. Right, and that ties back to, so that it's, it's that the principle that you see that they held consistently. So that one phrase he uses in there, uh, the, the man's home is his castle, Right. This is Madison saying that in what, 1792. 1792. But that phrase references back to uh, Edward Cook, uh-huh. right? Jurist Edward Cook, mm-hmm. in the midst of what, where we get the uh, Petition of Right of yes. 1628, mm-hmm. uh, where he was the English jurist that, you know, that coined that phrase in a sense. And that continued through that charter history, mm-hmm. legal history became, uh, you know, enshrined in, in mm-hmm. our ideology here in the United States, in our, in our system. Yes. And so that's the whole thing of why, why you tie all of this back to history right. to show the origins and basis of why uh-huh. this is true, this is pertinent. It has been true and pertinent for a thousand mm-hmm. years. And, it, and it's been here. This is the thing, what, what I was just saying before. This is the thing. None of this has gone away. It continues to demonstrate right. itself. But the enemies of liberty continue to build a system of distraction and distortion and deception right. so that the people don't see right. these principles that have continued continued to be the landmarks of liberty for a thousand years. That's why Chris Ann Hall teaches the history that she teaches. Right there. LibertyFirstUniversity.com. That's why they hate me. Because I'm not a poli- I'm not a political hack. I'm and not a wonk. And because again, and so, they know it, but they yeah. don't want the yeah. people to know it. Yeah, absolutely. They don't want you to see what's there. Right, right. Well, look, I just want to tell you that as long as the Internet is going, we will keep broadcasting. Um, I don't care what they say. You may have to watch us get arrested one day. Mm-hmm. But we will be here broadcasting. We will be here teaching. And I just want to tell you from my heart why. I believe God has called us to this. I think I made that very clear in the very beginning. God has called this us to this, and I'm not going to abandon that call. Um, he, he, God spoke to me from the very beginning and, and told me, look, I'm giving you the opportunity that I gave Esther, and you can be this or you can choose not to. But if you choose not to walk in this path that I'm giving you, then I can't make these promises fulfilled for you. And so we will be in these, we will be doing what we're doing. I'm going to be here until they cart me off because I believe that we are building a foundation for a new generation. We are building the platform for the rebuilding of America. I believe we're in the midst of its tearing down. 
but I believe that we are we have to stay true we have to stay faithful and we have to build the foundations so that we have something to stand on to rebuild with you know what's encouraging to me people now are beginning to question government licensing of their businesses that was the new epiphany that I'm watching people have because the the state constitutions don't the most state constitutions do not give the governors access to shut down private business right right so even in Illinois, where Eric Hansen was telling us that the governor is not saying we are going to come forcefully shut down your business if you don't comply. He's saying I'm going to pull your business license and then we'll shut you down. Because so it's a constructive shutdown. Yeah. Because they because and again because it's not they legal. Know, they know. Mm -hmm. They know. Once again, another they example. Know. They know. They know they don't have the legal authority to do that. But they've entrapped people. Because we've allowed our liberties to be licensed. Yes. And, and now we operate. That's what you were talking about before. This thing has shown the illusion of our economy. Mm -hmm. I think it's also shown and is showing to, to a great extent the illusion of our liberty. Yes. That we don't recognize how much of our liberty has been given over. We think, oh, we're okay. They haven't outlawed you know, guns and assembling this and that. But they've but licensed then it. Then they do. So that yeah, because now they're refusing to issue licenses because it can't exist. Like we can't mm -hmm. function, we can't operate without the license. They so you, know they can't constructively yeah. been outlawed. They can't outlaw. Uh, they can't outlaw your guns, but they can stop issuing licenses, which has the exact same effect. Right. Right. And so that's that's I, I was had my little victory. Remember, I'm always teaching you when you're fighting for liberty, you have to look for victory in different places. That's it's not always going to be obvious and it's not always going to be personal. Now, isn't it true? I had this question. Isn't it true that the, the only, the only place, the only time we even come close to some authority like this is supposed to be in times of invasion mm -hmm. to repel invasion yeah. or re rebellion or yeah. unlawful rebellion. Yeah. So those are the only instances where we even get close to anything like this. That's right. Being authorized. That's right. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. But I was, like I said, I had that little personal victory when, when I started seeing it pop up all over social media and stuff that I'm, and I'm watching and hearing people talk. Why? Uh, how, if, if they can't touch my business, why do I have to have permission to do it? Because right. that's what a license is. Do you, know, do you realize that a license actually create, makes the government the owner of your business. And well, that's what people are seeing. So I hope, I I hope the government does business. pull these licenses down. I don't own my business. Well, they're already realizing it because yeah. they, they, they don't want to lose their business, right? Yeah. They don't want to lose their business, so now they're complying with all the, with all the recommendations mm -hmm. because they're under threat of losing their license. And it's starting to occur to them that through the licensing of my business, I don't own my business. I don't own my business. So that's the crazy thing. People are asking me lots of questions about governors on, in the chat room. I'm going to tell you, every governor operates differently because every state constitution is different. Uh, but most, but most do not have the authority. Most do not have the authority to shut down. I mean, even New York doesn't have the authority. California doesn't have the authority. I don't know what else. I mean, California doesn't even have 
a codification of the right to keep and bear arms in their bill of rights. And, and you, but they don't, they don't have the authority to touch private business. I don't think people realize how sacred private business ownership was to our founders. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about people who either were indentured servants, which means they didn't own the land they worked, or they had, were chartered landowners, meaning the king owned their land and they just worked for the king. It was huge when you actually came to America and owned your own property. That was something in England that didn't happen. This was enormous and they never thought it would be something that we would surrender. Which is so which is why the Constitution makes no provision, no provision. for this for suspending. I mean, the Constitution itself saying, here's how you can suspend me. Like, so a provision for suspending liberty. Yes. It, it's yeah. it's counterintuitive. The whole is the whole point of the Constitution. It was the whole point of the war with the their own of, government. Well, but it was the whole point of writing it down. Right. Right? We're not just going to go along and see how it goes and flow with it. We're writing it down so it'll be on paper so everybody knows the boundaries. So there's no P.S. In case of emergency. Yeah. Just we, we don't actually mean anything we just light, wrote. Yeah. No. In case of emergency, <laughs> light match. Yeah. yeah? No. That's not what that means. And even in state governments, these all these national emergency police powers, that's what they call them, police powers, are totally invented. And they're invented in time of necessity and emergency and then upheld by the judiciary. They're, and this is the crazy thing because, like I said, I've been on the phone with lawyers all day long. We've been searching through these things, looking at these things. What's crazy is they invent them by necessity. They do it on the fly by executive order or some, some, some um, administrative order. The court upholds them and they never, ever write a law. They never amend a constitution. They never actually create legislation to create these powers. They just totally fly. Why wouldn't... So let me ask you, JC, in my Socratic teacher kind of way. Now that the, they've done this, right, and the courts have said you can do this, why wouldn't they want to amend the constitution to create an, a, a state of emergency clause or put it into writing in, in the state statutes? I would think because they don't want the people to actually see it and write it. Most of the people... That's don't right. comprehend this. They just take it for granted. Because if they see it in writing, it is forever codified, which means they can go back and look at it in time of peace and say, that's crazy. See, it's the time of necessity that they invent, you know, the panic that makes people think, hey, I need the National Guard at the grocery store to force people to have swaps. If you had said that to that man six months ago, I guarantee you he'd have been like, what? Are you nuts? That's crazy. We'd never do that here in America. Am I right? I'm right. I know I'm right. But you put people in the midst of some kind of crisis, which is why sure. the whole Rahm Emanuel thing comes to work and the rules for radicals things comes to work. No, if you're scared you just, enough, I can talk you out of anything. Oh, yeah. Or into anything. Or into anything. Yeah. So, and that's where we are. Hey, I wanted to mention, say hi to Stephanie. Stephanie. Stephanie, ah. formerly known as yeah, Stephanie. Gotcha. Yeah, so Stephanie was watching today. So cool. I just wanted to say hi to, to our friend Stephanie. It's been a while since we've had a chance to yeah. talk to her. But Hope you're doing well. 
Um, Blessings. Yeah, she she sent me a little message of uh, preach, sister. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew she was watching. But uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here today. We went a little bit long today, but I hope that you under you found our lesson on the sheriff very uh, important, very critical. Share the lesson on the sheriff. Uh, go to libertyfirstuniversity.com and sign up. So many of you have signed up. Look, don't let the apocalyptic crisis scare you from, from investing in liberty, okay? Because this is something that is going to last on eternity, this, the knowledge is. And if you don't want to join Liberty First University, then go online and start reading the Federalist Papers. If you can manage, the, if you can do that on your own, do it. Read the Anti-Federalist Papers. But don't take this time and waste it. Reach others. Go to, hey, this is a good time to get Liberty First gear. Wear your socialist t-shirt, suck. Socialist suck t-shirt. Wear your uh, Got Liberty t-shirt. Wear your gun t-shirt. Can you imagine in the apocalypse wearing your gun t-shirt? All cool. of these things will help people understand and start the conversation for you yep. to make mm -hmm. that happen. Remember, keep, keep up with your hygiene. Use wisdom. And um, touch your face. Just touch your face. That's all you have left. Touch yeah. your face. Sovereign duty is where you'll find a lesson on the sheriff too, right here. It's on Kindle. It's on Amazon. You can go to Books Million. You can get it at chrisannhall.com. But every sheriff needs this. So thank you guys for your time. God bless. And I'm taking the day off tomorrow. I might even sleep in past 830. Today, Friday. Thursday, Today is Thursday. Friday. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.